Welcome to the Rutledge Perspective Podcast. This podcast is for you, and I welcome you to come as you are. There is no judgment here, just folks doing everything they can to stand in their power and show up every single day. So if you're looking for inspiration, welcome. If you're looking to level up or to make a change or you just need a minute, welcome. And if you're looking for some perspective on your circumstances, either personal or professional, well, that's my jam. No matter why you're here, I'm glad you are. And this message is for you. Welcome to my village. Welcome to this week's episode of The Rutledge Perspective. And I am interviewing one of my most favorite people in the world, who also happens to be one of my coaches that I met through another friend who just happened to turn out to be just the place I was supposed to be. And when you guys get to hear her story and hear what she's done, you will see what I'm talking about. And I want to welcome to the show, and I'll give you guys a little bit about her in a minute, but I want to welcome to the show, Rebecca M. Thompson. Thanks so much for having me. I am so glad you're here. And and for those of you who are listening and watching, let me give you just a little bit about Rebecca. And as always, I will put her full bio in the show notes. You'll be able to get this. But Rebecca is a clarity coach for high achieving Black women. And she's the founder of Live In Your Light Bootcamp, which is a transformative three-month personal and professional executive coaching experience that I've been to twice and you need to go. Um, She got her start at 14 in politics. And at that time, she served as an intern for a woman elected official in her hometown of Detroit. I lived in Detroit for a while. See, all these dots started connecting y'all. She's a graduate of the Women's Campaign School at Yale, Emily's List, Vote Run Lead, and many, many other leadership programs. And she has appeared in the Washington Post, New York Times, and Essence Magazine. Uh, She was a 40 over under 40. I mean, you name it, she's done it. And so I want to talk to you, Rebecca, and to share with all of my listeners and viewers just this amazing journey that you've had because everything is about understanding your perspective, shifting it when you need to, and then really being clear on who you are, what you want, and what it's going to take to get there. And so where I want to start first is give people a little overview of like what you're doing now, and then we're going to backtrack. Absolutely. Um, Again, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and to share my story. And I'm also excited to share my story at a time when I'm also reinventing myself and shifting my perspective. So as you mentioned, I'm a clarity coach for high achieving Black women around the world. Um, I'm also a political consultant. And so about 50% of my practice is really working with high achieving Black women who are stuck, who are seeking clarity in their lives and their careers, Mm -hmm. and who want to reinvent themselves as well. Um, That work is also about working with organizations, particularly progressive organizations or political organizations, to help them internally. And I love this idea of helping organizations get clarity because there are so many organizations that are just doing work um, without that sort of uh, insight. And so I love doing personal development coaching for those staff as well, and then putting the two together. And so that means really working to develop the whole person, particularly as we're doing tough political work, um, especially yes. over the last few years throughout the pandemic. There are so many folks who are burnt out at work, 
They are being um, really exploited by organizations that aren't treating them like whole people. And so that's the approach I like to bring to my work. And yeah, I'm also, I've just started a new chapter as well. I've recently started graduate school and I'm sort of making a bit of a career pivot as well that I'd love to chat about. And so I am uh, seeking my own clarity in my life these days. I love that. And, And it's so important that people recognize that we have multiple paths in our life, right? Just keep living. And so there are very, very small percentage of people know what they want to be when they grow up, when they're young, and they stick with that and they stick with that through the end of their life. Very, very few people. Most of us take multiple paths and it's okay, right? Because there are different times in our lives where something else either piques our interest or there's a life change that just says, no, this is where my real purpose is. And so as you hear Rebecca's story, I just want to reiterate to you guys, Don't feel like you're failing if something doesn't feel right anymore. Dig into that and understand what it is so you can maybe make an adjustment, make a pivot, make a shift um, to move into that next thing. So, so Rebecca, you know, you also did a lot of the political and I've got my little vote pin on. I, I, I have my, the, when we're recording this, I'm actually getting ready to go do my radio show. And I always talk about voting on my radio show. And I was like, this is perfect because I'm talking to Rebecca on the day of the show. And this whole political piece, because you got the two pieces of the business, this political piece that started, um, what really drove you? I mean, that's early 14. What drove you to get involved in the political process? So um, I have an identical twin sister, uh, Rachel Allen, who is based in Detroit. And my mom got us a summer job with the city's youth employment program. And ironically, those summer jobs put us on the path for the rest of our career. So my internship was with a woman elected official in county government. Hers was with the General Services Administration. Mm. So she learned about business and operations. And I'll never forget one day taking the bus to our our work site Mm -hmm. and passing many of my friends who also had a summer employment job. And they were outside picking up trash. And I remember at 14 having this moment of clarity that here I was on my way to, you know, working with a political leader, elected leader, mm-hmm. who was a woman who was newly elected at the time, I was wearing my mother's suit to work. Okay. Uh, and yeah. here were my classmates outside picking up trash. And I wondered how different our lives would be 20 yes. or 30 years from then. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was almost as if I could see my future and that was the path that was laid out for me. And so after that internship, it was the first opportunity where I sort of connected the dots Mm -hmm. that there were people who made decisions about the funding for my school or the kinds of programs that were available for housing assistance because Mm -hmm. we were getting evicted every six months. And so I realized that maybe I could be one of those people someday. And so Mm -hmm. I set this intention that one day I would run for elected office. Um, In college, I was student body president. People said I was crazy. They said it couldn't be done. And I became the first Black woman elected student body president in my school's 100-year history. Love it. Black woman hasn't been elected since. And that was back Mm. in 2004. So there were all these sort of pieces that were Mm -hmm. a part of that journey. And uh, I decided that I wanted to move to Washington, D.C. And I thought, if I want to work in politics, I'm going to go and learn from the best people. And I'm going to take that experience back home to Detroit. 
So I started my career on Capitol Hill. I had an amazing opportunity to travel the country for the first two years of my career, teaching young people about the legislative process, about Congress, about how a bill becomes a law and how to create social change. And most importantly, how they could be the elected officials, mm-hmm. right? So instead mm-hmm. of just voting and giving money yeah. to candidates that didn't align with their values, they could be the candidate. So mm-hmm. for a good chunk of my career, I traveled the country training young people to be the people in positions of power. Yeah. Um, I ran a number of candidate training programs. I was a part of a number of training programs. Mm-hmm. And then it finally sort of a light went off for me. That I was spending all this time encouraging other people to do something I hadn't found the courage to do. And I felt like an imposter. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was time for me to put my money where my mouth was. I quit my cushy job in D.C. I moved (laughs) back home to Detroit and moved back to the neighborhood that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And I decided, you know, I could complain about what was wrong with the city or I could do something about it. And so right. uh, I ran for state representative in 2014. I ran against an incumbent who mm-hmm. had been sued for sexual harassment by a staff member. Mm-hmm. Um, he ultimately was removed from the legislature. So this was, you know, not a, not mm-hmm. a great deal. Um, I knocked every door in that district four times. I mm-hmm. outraised him. I got local and state and national endorsements. Mm-hmm. And I lost that race. By just six oh. votes on election. Oh. And when I say that, people are like, oh my gosh, six votes. Like you could find six people. Right. Um, it was one of the hardest things I've yeah. ever experienced. But mm-hmm. I know now without a doubt that had I not lost that election, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Right. right. There was a path that was not for me. And being in the Michigan legislature is such, although it seemed so big to me at the time, Mm -hmm. it's such a small way to create change in the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And although I was devastated, I stayed involved in politics and Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, I'll run again in a few years when the seat opened. But the universe had other plans for me. And in 2017, I quit my job. I sold Mm -hmm. everything I owned. And I bought a one-way ticket to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And I spent the next six months traveling the world, researching the world's political Mm -hmm. systems, and more importantly, learning myself. I had spent so many years developing all these other people, Mm -hmm. pouring into so many other people for them to create change and and be the best versions of themselves. And it was the first time that I was doing that for myself. And it, Mm -hmm. I mean, even now when I think back to it, I remember I would take these sort of like daily mental pictures because I knew there would come a point in in my life when I would be so far removed from that experience, but I would need that to fuel me for whatever I was doing. And so Mm -hmm. um, I lived in and traveled to about 15 different countries during that time. Um, came back to the States to um, really help. There was an influx mm-hmm. of, of women who decided yes. they wanted to run for office after Donald Trump was elected. Mm-hmm. Um, and the universe took me in what I can only sort of describe as a mm-hmm. as a path that allowed me to work on some of the most important political races in the country. Yes. Um, and it gave me the fuel to start my own practice. And so for the last four years, I have been working full-time as the mm-hmm. CEO of Rebecca Thompson International. 
Yes. Where I've been able to do all the work that I love from the comfort of my home. Yes. And, um, With and Donnie Hathaway barking by your side. And Donnie Hathaway, my first son, is sitting right here. Right? He is always right next to me. Um, and as soon as I said that, he thought that was an invitation to come. Of over. course. <laughs> um, but yeah, it has been a beautiful journey. It has not been without its challenges. Um, yeah. Again, being a entrepreneur during the pandemic was something I had to do out of necessity, yes. right? Mm-hmm. But it also mm-hmm. showed me that it was something that I could do. And I'm right. a firm believer that if it's possible for me, it's possible for other people as well. See, I just, I love that. And and y'all already see why I just love this woman. And so I just, okay. So I got to figure out where I want to go because there's so much meat there and, and y'all know me, we're going to go with the spirit leads. And so, so here's where I think I want to go next. When you think about that picking up everything, right? The, the loss that, that was truly was devastating, but in hindsight was exactly what was supposed to happen. And then this move, selling everything, right? And just moving out of the country. And so many of us now are like, depending on what happens in 2024, I may be buying my condo in Belize, right? Yeah. Um, what was it about you knowing who you were, right? That really enabled you to take a vision, get really clear on a vision and move into the action that you needed to take to become who you are now? What what did you find in your spirit that really helped you do that? Because so many people, I think, are afraid to take the time to dig deep into who they are and be okay with whatever those answers are. Oh, yeah. Well, I think there were two components. Um, One was I had a good life, but Mm. it wasn't a great life. Mm. Good. I um, was in a relationship that was good, but it wasn't great. Right. Um, We lived together. We were making plans for this future life. Mm -hmm. And one day I woke up and I decided that it wasn't okay to have a good enough life. And I didn't like this life anymore and I didn't want it. And Mm -hmm. one day I was on my computer and I saw a Facebook ad Mm -hmm. that said, do you want to travel the world and work remotely? And I said, "Uh, yeah, I do. (laughs) And that that question Mm -hmm. opened a door. And I didn't tell anybody that I'd applied for this program. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell them that I interviewed. I put the deposit down, still hadn't told anybody. And what it required me to do was number one, cast a new vision for myself. Mm -hmm. It had never occurred to me that Mm -hmm. I could travel the world and work remotely. And I thought that was something other people did. I had a friend Mm -hmm. years before who bought an around the world ticket. And I remember saying to her, I'm going to do that someday. Yes. And she slept in a hallway for six months mm. to save the money to do it. And I remember wow. thinking, if she can do that, what would mm-hmm. it look like for me to do that? And so I began to sort of make these internal calculations, which was, okay, I can get rid of my house. Mm-hmm. I can get rid of my car. I can get rid of my belongings. It's just stuff. These yeah. are things that I can replace. Probably the, the biggest calculus was, all right, who's going to take care of my dog, right? And right? I my sister and I said, okay, hypothetically, if I traveled the world for six months, would you take care of my dogs? And she said, uh, no, but it's not great. <laughs> Tell me more. And I had to have a real conversation with my partner at the time. Yes. 
And we decided that this relationship just wasn't working anymore. And in a really, really, really beautiful blessing, he -hmm. decided to help keep my dog. And we had two dogs at the time. He kept them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was it. And then I decided, okay, well, the only thing that's keeping me back is fear. I'm afraid of what it might look like to do this. And the morning I left, um, and actually that anniversary is this month. It's in January. It's like January 27th. And every year when it comes, it feels like a, a it's like a birthday for me Mm -hmm. because I'll never forget being in the bathroom in the Detroit airport, Mm -hmm. having a total meltdown because everybody was so excited for me. They were like, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. And I thought, what if I can't do this? What if I fail? And for me, there was really no failure. The failure was, okay, what's the, what's the worst thing that can happen? I run out of money. Right. Right. And I had a runway of about six months. Mm -hmm. I had, um, paid off all my credit cards. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, taken some money out of some savings. So like I was okay, but that clock every day in my mind was (laughs) all right, girl, you know, you're going to be running out of money soon. And so it was that fear. I got a calendar reminder one day for payday mm-hmm. for a payday that wasn't coming, right? right? There was no paycheck that was coming. So it forced me to actually create my very first digital product. Mm-hmm. And it forced me to figure out ways to make money. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, there were days when I said, I'm not working at all because the right. point of this experience is to experience it. And mm-hmm. so I will say, the biggest thing that I would really push anybody to do is number one, take a look at your life, right? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Who's in it, right? Is, are these the people that you want to be a part of the next chapter of your life? Mm -hmm. And if I'm really being honest with myself, every four or five years, I'm reinventing what my life looks like anyways, right? So there's no such thing as permanent, you know, decisions, no Mm -hmm. permanent people for the most part, Mm -hmm. unless you have kids, maybe that's a different thing. Uh, But, you know, for most of my life, you know, I didn't want children. I wanted to travel. I wanted Mm -hmm. to have a life that allowed me to just get up and go. And I did it. And I knew that the next chapter of my life, this chapter that I'm walking in right now Mm -hmm. is the one that's filled with children, is the one that's filled with the home is, it looks very different than it did Mm -hmm. in 2017. And so had I not given myself permission to have that life, I wouldn't have this life that I'm creating for myself right now. Oh, it's so good, Rebecca. So good. I mean, so so y'all, as you're listening to her, there's there's some key things that she just said, you know, and especially here at the end, give yourself a chance to evaluate your life and determine if that's the one you want. That's number one. Number two, and y'all hear me talk about this all the time. You got to stay open to the God wink, right? Mm-hmm. Rebecca said, I just happened to go on Facebook and I saw this ad. How many times does something come to us? right? That we either don't see, are not ready for, don't see it when it comes back to us. I mean, someone that I'm I'm following now, Rachel Rogers, I got the book a year ago and my therapist told me about it a year ago and I just got it, put it aside, right? Because I wasn't ready. I, I heard it, but I wasn't ready. And so think about those things that come to you when something's going on in your brain, when your spirit is unsettled, 
Are you open to the answer that should come to you? Because that Facebook ad, she could have just passed by that. Yeah. And she didn't. She clicked on it. Right. And then this the the last thing is really kind of doing it afraid, just doing it. And don't tell everybody. You don't have to tell everybody everything. Just do it and see what happens. Because if you think about your worst case scenario, if you at least know that, you know what your worst case is. They call it the best alternative to a negotiated agreement, right? My worst case scenario when I decided to leave corporate was, okay, my worst case scenario is I have to sell all my stuff, move back home to live with my mom, right? Or as long as I got cousins, brother, folks, I'm I'm not going to be homeless and I won't be hungry. I'll be embarrassed, but I can get over embarrassment, right? So my worst case scenario wasn't that bad. So as you start to evaluate your life and really think about who you are, think about what Rebecca just told us. Do it afraid, be open to deciding what life you want, and then do something, do something about it. Do something about it. So, so you've gone, you've, you're traveled the world. You started this digital project because there was also that impetus that said, you got to figure out how to make some money because, because mm-hmm. there is money is, is renewable. That's the good thing. You can always make more money, um, yeah. but you got to do something to do that. So you're traveling, making more money, and then you decide, okay, now it's time to go home, right? Now it's time to go home. And I really want to work with high achieving black women. That's what I want to do. And I want to come back as my authentic self, being able to do that. And now here you are. So what, if you had to tell somebody the key pieces of this learning that you had while you were away, while you were in these 15 different countries, the key learnings that kind of got you to this next phase, what are maybe those top one or two things that you say, you know what? That's why I did that trip. Yeah. There's a couple things um, that really come to mind when I think about that version of myself, as well as the one who made the decision to start my business, Mm -hmm. the one who made the decision to go back to school, right? Yeah. Um, Which is um, go dark, Right. Ah. There is so much that we share with other people. And and what's interesting is um, during a few of these processes. So when I was traveling, I kept the blog and Mm -hmm. I was documenting my journey. But there was a lot that I never let people see. And I think people assume that the people that they see on social media and the people, the things that they see people posting every day, Mm -hmm. that that's the work. The work is actually what people can't see. Yeah, it is invisible to them, but it is highly visible to you, right? Yeah. Um, it is the trips that you take that you don't share on social media that you don't let other people see because they're not for other people. Mm-hmm. And so, creating a container for yourself where you get to do the the hard, the ugly, the you know the difficult things without mm-hmm. the fear of what will people think. Yeah. Right. We care so much about what other people think. And I've decided that there are just some things that in this next chapter, if you don't know me in real life, you don't know. Right. So one of those things for me is I've started the IVF process. I've decided to be a mom. Y'all just people going to just see me with a baby. Right. Right. What? What? Who the baby? 
Brittany, what happened? Right. Did she get married? You won't even know, right? Right. Me right. going back to school. Now I've shared it with people that I'm mm-hmm. that are on my email list or that right. are part of my community, but it's not on Facebook. You won't mm-hmm. you won't see it until I have a degree, right? Right. There are some things that I've decided have to just be for me, and yes. that way I don't have to, you know, sort of uh, do that. Uh, sort of knee-jerk reaction mm-hmm. of, you know, trying to seek and get validation and asking mm-hmm. people what they think. And so I've decided that some of these, some of this journey is me alone and that yes. is okay. And that's a lot of what traveling the world was. I, although mm-hmm. I was traveling with 70 people from 10 different mm-hmm. countries, it was a solitary journey, right? Mm-hmm. And I was sharing bits and pieces of it as I wanted to. Um, I think another component of this is is echoing what you said, which is doing it afraid. We yeah. think that the fear is going to go away. So mm-hmm. when I ran for elected office, I was afraid every single day. Yeah. I was afraid that people were going to find out things about me that I didn't want them to mm-hmm. know. I, they people lied. They made up stuff. So the things right? that I was afraid of didn't even happen. And people were just making up new things. Right. So the things that I was bracing myself for didn't even happen, Mm -hmm. right? Because there Mm -hmm. were other things that were manifesting. So whether it was running for office, which was hard, whether it was traveling the world, that was harder Mm -hmm. because it was something that was so personal and it was so big. It felt so big at the time. Um, I ran for motherhood because I was afraid. That was something that I was like, I don't, I don't want the pain. I don't want the headache. Right. And I just was like, I would rather not want it. No, thank you. No, thank right. you. Right. Um, but I'm reminding myself it's supposed to be hard. Right. Right. This is something that is going to be hard, but it will also be joyful. It will yes. also be something that will absolutely, you know, transform my life. And so mm-hmm. that that sort of mantra of doing it afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Glenn Doyle who talks about, you know, we can do hard things, right? Yes. We can do yes. hard things. We've done them before. And so, you know, all of those things that I've done before have really just laid the foundation for me to continue yes. to do it again. So it's, yes. it's like muscle memory at this point. Um, <laughs> and I wish that more of us would, would allow ourselves to get out of what's comfortable and easy mm-hmm. Um, and, and fail faster. Cause we're going to yes. fail. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to embarrass ourselves. Um, yes. the question is, is what do you do when you fall? Do you get back yeah. up or do you, mm-hmm. you know, sort of give up? And so right. just the idea of I'm not giving up on myself. Um, I'm, I'm true to this vision that I have that the universe has right. given me that I can have everything I want, right? Mm-hmm. Anything that I'm willing to go after I can have, but that mm-hmm. means I got to, Say I want it and then do the work to have it. See, because we were talking before we started, it is, that's why I talk about alignment, vision, action, right? Getting really clear on who you are, getting clear on that vision, right? What is it that you want? But then moving into empowered action. Because a goal without a plan is just a wish, right? You got to do something. You've got to do something. And what I love about your two key things is, is being okay with going dark, and keeping some stuff dark because everybody doesn't need to know everything. Go dark. And then the 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 ability to understand that things are supposed to be hard. They're supposed to be hard. It doesn't mean they're soul crushing, 
But not everything is easy. And no one promised us that it was going to be easy. But that innovation, if you're going to be innovative, you're going to move, you have to be willing to fail fast, right? Fail, learn, keep moving. You got to be willing to do that. Yeah. So what for you, because I want to talk about this, this new transition, this new pivot. And, and before, but before we get into that, what was the biggest surprise for you in uh, up to this point? What has been the biggest surprise for you about you to this point? You know, I just had a conversation with um, one of my nephews who Mm -hmm. uh, is incarcerated. Uh, Him, I have two nephews who are 18 years Mm -hmm. old, were incarcerated and given life sentences Mm -hmm. without the possibility of parole. Mm -hmm. And he sent me a beautiful message the other day and just talked about, you know, how proud of me he is and and the sort of role that I play in the family. And and one of the things that I have to say to him is, you know, I had this, this idea that I could live life perfectly. Yeah. That if I did everything right, you know, if I, you know, just played by the rules, if I sort of followed this little straight line that I, if I was perfect, bad things Mm -hmm. wouldn't happen. Right. First of all, there's no such thing as being perfect. Mm -hmm. And we are all imperfect. We're all flawed. And I think, you know, it sort of goes back to that 14-year-old girl who, Mm -hmm. in many instances, was told, especially if you want to go into politics, you got to be perfect. You can't be, you can't have scandals. You you, Mm -hmm. you can't do things that people can use against you. So I thought, okay, if I just live a life like that, nothing bad will happen to me. So the thing that surprised me most about me is I'd spent so many years trying to be perfect. Um, And when I would stumble and when I would make mistakes, I would be surprised as if I wasn't human, Mm -hmm. as if I wasn't this whole ass person who was figuring it out. And especially when you have people who look to you as if you have answers or that you're a little bit further ahead of them because maybe you figured something out that they want to. Um, There's a lot of pressure to, to not make mistakes. And so mm-hmm. I am grateful for the version of myself mm-hmm. that was just, excuse my French, fucking shit up. Yes. <laughs> because yes. I needed to, I needed <clears throat> to fall on my face. I needed to make mistakes. I needed to, and I needed, even in that example for my nephews to see, yeah. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. And, you know, it's okay when we do things that, Maybe, you know, we aren't so proud of, but Mm -hmm. I am just a few months away from turning 40 and I have so much more clarity going into this Mm -hmm. next decade than Mm -hmm. I probably ever have about who I really am. Not the, not the version of me that I want people to see, but the real version of me that is just as bright and loving Mm -hmm. and caring and thoughtful and flawed and imperfect and hardworking and creative, all of those things coexist to make me who Mm -hmm. I am, as opposed to, you know, this sort of shiny version of myself that people see in public. All of those pieces are me, but the real me um, is so much more than that. I I love that because I think what we, what we miss, and you and I are very introverted, right? And so you know, I, I show up as an extrovert and, and I'm extroverted when I have to be and, and I'm authentic, but I think what people confuse is that 
authenticity, they think equals having everybody know everything. And, and that the, the pieces of you that show up are not somehow real if they're not all of you in every situation. And the reality is we have to keep some of us for us. And just because you only get this version of me doesn't mean that that's not an authentic version of me or a real version of me or that it's not me. It's just, you may not have access to all of me because I don't owe you access to all of me. I got to save some of me for me, (laughs) right? You can't give it all away. You can't give it all away, right? You absolutely cannot give it all away. And so as you move into, I think, as you said, you know, this version of you moving into 40, being clearer and owning who you are in this moment. And now you've made this shift. So tell us a little bit about this new shift, this grad school, you know, what you're doing now in this next chapter. Yeah. So um, right before the pandemic, I got my medical cannabis card. And for the Mm -hmm. first time, I tried cannabis and it changed my life, girl. It changed my life in a way where I've been struggling with anxiety. I've Mm -hmm. been struggling with depression. Um, And for the first time, it was as if I got to turn those things off, particularly the anxiety. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who, like you said, is is an extreme introvert, Mm -hmm. just peopling is exhausting for me. Yes. And so finding relief in that way. I had all these sort of judgments and preconceived notions about cannabis and marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for years, just was like, I'm not interested. I'm not touching stuff. And it sort of sparked something in me where I thought, okay, well, what would it look like mm-hmm. if I could be a part of this booming industry, particularly mm-hmm. where only 2% of cannabis entrepreneurs are Black people, right? Yes. This yes. is like we're experiencing a green rush and we're mm-hmm. not benefiting from it. Right. And so I didn't know sort of what that work would look like. I thought mm-hmm. I wanted to sort of invest in a dispensary. Um, and then one day I saw a, a card for a medical cannabis program at the Mm -hmm. University of Maryland, Baltimore. It's the first master's of medical cannabis and therapeutics in the country. Mm -hmm. And a light bulb went off. And Mm -hmm. I looked at those course descriptions and I was like, this is it. And so Mm -hmm. um, I started this past fall. It is in the school of pharmacy. Mm -hmm. So I am learning so much about the benefits of medical cannabis, especially Mm -hmm. for folks who struggle with pain or anxiety or insomnia. There's so Mm -hmm. many you know, um, so many people who credit this with sort of not just saving and changing their lives, but being an alternative to opioids. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I've sort of set an intention to do in the next few years is to open a dispensary Mm -hmm. um, in Baltimore, in Detroit, Mm -hmm. and to be able to create a place, particularly for Black women, Mm -hmm. particularly for high achieving Black women. Yes. So that not only um, can they experience the benefits of it, but they can also invest that they can be cannabis entrepreneurs as well. Um, I recently started a part time job at a dispensary. And let me tell you something. I haven't had a job working for somebody else in years. And it was it has been so humbling. (laughs) I'm on the time clock. 
But it has also been really, really, really beautiful to work with patients who, you know, have no idea what they're doing. But, you know, there was a patient that came in a couple of weeks ago in tears Mm. because she could not move. And Mm. the only thing that was giving her pain relief Mm -hmm. was medical cannabis. And Mm so Maryland just passed recreational cannabis last year. Um, Michigan also recently passed it. So there's a lot of sort of changes in the industry. Mm -hmm. And so um, even as somebody who no longer consumes cannabis, um, it is still an industry that I wanted to learn as much as I could Mm -hmm. uh, about because there's just not enough of us as experts in the industry. And so um, again, I think it's, you know, my, my sort of mantra has been, you know, changing the face of power Mm -hmm. in the past. That was a podcast that I had years ago. Now I like to think of it as changing the face of cannabis, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, people, don't often associate black women with the folks who should be, who should be millionaires and billionaires, right? Right. This is reparations. This is not just a way for us to create generational wealth, but I think it's a way for us to create jobs, um, to really transform our communities um, and to be able to create communities of of black women entrepreneurs who are forging their own path. Yes. Oh, I love it. And and once again, once again, you have taken an experience tied to your own deep knowledge of yourself and being open to the God winks that come your way and moving into action. I mean, this started out as something you needed for you. You were just having a, an issue that you needed to find a solution for. And then in that solution for you, had such a bigger thought around how can this be bigger, not just for me, but for the community at large and for high achieving back women, for generational wealth. I mean, just the vision of bigger and more impact. And that's what I love about women and about black women in particular, that I think is so often overlooked. Um, and it's that old, you know, African proverb, right? You, you, you educate a man or teach a man and you lift up a family, you educate or teach a woman, you lift up a village, right? When we are in the thing, when we are making money, we are making an impact. We are lifting communities. We are building up families. We are changing, changing society and community for the better for everyone around us that touches us and that we touch. And you are just a prime example of that, not only through the the Living Your Light Bootcamp, where you really do, um, really are a, a facilitator or a conduit for that clarity uh, in a way that, that I've not seen other people do. And so not only do you do it that way, but now I can just, I can just see it, you know, what you're going to be doing um, in this industry, because there's so many of us who remain to this day incarcerated on the other end of that, because there's still this whole state versus federal thing. But then all of a sudden, there's also a problem with us now being on the money-making end of it. Absolutely. Come on now, right? One of the reasons why I got into this industry, I mean, there Mm -hmm. are so many people, I hear stories of people who are serving life sentences for small amounts of marijuana. Right. And and on the sort of flip side of that, um, the dispensary that I'm at, we Mm -hmm. clear a million dollars a month. Right. Right. So that sort of changing, expunging records, um, creating opportunities for folks who have been formerly incarcerated. Mm -hmm. 
to mm-hmm. be the ones who are able to own those dispensary licenses. Yes. There's yes. so much work to be done and mm-hmm. and there's a lot to learn. And, and I think that's another component to this, which is yes. it was easy and it is easy to, to be in politics. I've been in politics for over 20 years at this point. Mm-hmm. That I can do with my eyes closed. Yes. But it was very different to be able to say, Let's open a new door where I don't know anything, where I have to learn. And let me tell you something. I almost dropped out of school a few times that first semester. Right. I was like, what, what am I, who said I wanted to learn all of this stuff? Right. Right. Okay. (laughs) Just the idea that I would be challenging myself in new ways. Again, it's, it's humbling. Right. And so I don't think enough of us put ourselves in situations where Mm -hmm. we are learning like that in a new way. Or we're starting in a new industry. We think that we've got to do what we've always done, mm-hmm. um, but you can build on that. And so yes. my unique lens of you know politics and advocacy, yes. personal development, one of the things that I really want to bring to life are cannabis retreats. So yes. you and I have been out of the country a few yes. times on these you know wellness retreats for Black mm-hmm. women. Um, and they may not be international because mm-hmm. I'm not trying to go to jail. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, Brittany Griner was, I think, a perfect example of how exactly. easy it is, right, for folks to get caught up in the judicial yes. system. Um, and so they may they may be more stateside, but the idea is is not just about the, the sort right. of elevated experience of right. cannabis. It's the learning, it's Mm -hmm. the community, it's rest, right? And for no other reason, I got some of the best sleep of my life being able to get relief in a different way that wasn't, you know, sleeping aids or some other thing that I needed to do to turn my Mm -hmm. brain off. And and particularly for high achieving women, we are overthinkers. We are overworkers. We overdo it. And oftentimes- Um, you know, we can find relief in a lot of ways, but they may not be therapeutic. And Mm so Mm -hmm. whatever the sort of ailment is, it it is um, sort of unique to different people's needs. But I think being able to create, you know, spaces that are really um, sort of grounded in this Mm -hmm. idea that we deserve to to treat our bodies in a way where we can be here in 20 yes. years, you know? So yes. I am, I'm still figuring out what that looks like, but it is, um, it's really great to just yeah. be every week learning something new that I can put into practice and that hopefully in the next few years, I can yeah. really bring to life as a, as a dispensary here in, in Maryland. Well, and I love it because you, as you just summarized, you know, so many things have, have converged. So that having worked, you know, starting at 14, then being an entrepreneur, being in politics for over 20 years, already helping people understand kind of the the clarity piece, the rest piece, the importance, and now moving into this new industry that absolutely needs some political intervention because there's so many tentacles and so much disconnect and having someone like you enter that has the political savvy but also has spent the time, energy, 
and money to really study and learn the industry, to be able to marry that to the political expertise uh, expertise, and then be able to impact not only generational wealth through doing the thing, but how are we impacting society and how society treats people who are in this? I mean, it's just, it's almost like this perfect storm of skills and capability and expertise and willingness to add the additional pieces that you need to truly be able to impact it. And that's what, if you guys don't hear anything else from this interview, who are listening and who are watching, the way that Rebecca has taken all of the pieces of who she is and been able to marry those into making an incredible impact, continue to make an incredible impact, because she's already been making an impact, to continue to make that based on who she is and a willingness to own that, to celebrate that, to go dark when she needed to, and to be public when she needed to, and to do it afraid. This is the this is what you need to be watching for, right? These are the people you need to follow. Not those influencers who have 4 million followers and ain't doing nothing, right? Not those highlight reels. Dig deeper. It's really about true receipts. It's about true experience and expertise. And it's about people who are really demonstrating the power we have as individuals when we are willing to understand who we are, get really clear on what we want, and then make a plan and take action to make it happen. And that is what Rebecca has done. I, Rebecca, I could talk to you for another two hours. I really could. And we're going to do this again. We're going to find a time to do this again because there's so much more I want to dig into, like the whole, you know, singing thing with <laughs> you and your sister. Y'all, there's so much that y'all haven't heard about Miss Rebecca. So we're going to do it again. But I just want to thank you. Thank you so much for your time, for your honesty and your openness right, for doing this with me, because I, after that retreat in Mexico, I'm like, why have I not had her on my podcast before? Because there's just so much I think that people can learn by just connecting with you. And so please, if you are even remotely kind of intrigued, go find Rebecca. It's RebeccaMThompson.com. That's her website, RebeccaMThompson.com. And go check her out and see what she's doing. And Rebecca, thank you. Thank you for for being in my village, for allowing me in yours, uh, and for spending some time on the Rutledge perspective. I am so grateful. Thank you so much for having me. I am happy to be here. I am so proud of you. I'm so proud to see the work that you are putting into the world, uh, and it has been my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. You guys, thank you for tuning in. You know where to find me. Go out on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a five-star review. Give us a like. Send me a DM and let me know what else you want to talk about or who else you want me to interview. And I will put it on the docket. I always appreciate every listen, every download, the time you choose to spend with me. We'll catch you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Rutledge Perspective Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and for connecting. You can find previous episodes of the podcast on my website at laurelrutledge.com forward slash podcast. You can also find me on social media at Laurel K. Rutledge and or The Rutledge Perspective. And I'd love your perspective on the things we talk about. And if there's a specific topic you want me to cover, just let me know. And please share this podcast with someone in your village who may need this little piece of perspective today. And if you're so inclined, I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on the platform of your choice. Apple Podcasts and Spotify reviews are particularly helpful. Thank you again for listening. Take care.